Job chapter 8 Then Bildad the Shuhite answered, How long will you speak these things? Shall the words of your mouth be a white, mighty wind? Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert righteousness? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their disobedience. If you want to seek God diligently, make your supplication to the Almighty. If you were pure and upright, surely now he would, have, he would awaken for you and make the habitation of your righteousness prosperous. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would greatly increase. Please inquire of past generations. Find out about the learning of their fathers. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are a shadow. Shall they not teach you, tell you, and utter words out of their heart? Can the papyrus grow up without mire? Can the rushes grow without water? While it is yet in their greenness, nor cut down, it withers before any other reed. So are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless man will perish, whose confidence will break apart, whose trust is in a spider's web. He will lean on his house, but it will not stand. He will cling to it, but it will not endure. He is green before the sun. His shoots go out along his garden. His roots are wrapped around the rock pile. He sees the place of stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way. Out of the earth others will spring. Behold, God will not cast away a blameless man, neither will he uphold the evildoers. He will still fill your mouth with laughter, your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame. The tent of the wicked will be no more. Well, we're now in the comments for Job chapter 8, and we get to meet Job's second friend, Bildad. <laughs> Bildad the Shuhite. And um, it's the fourth speech in the book. So Job's the first to speak, then Job's first friend Eliphaz speaks, Job replies, that's the third speech, and now Job's second friend Bildad speaks. And he starts out with great, <laughs> with some great points. And uh, he says something that's true, and yet wrong all at the same time. This is what he says in verse three. He says, does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? So it's a rhetorical set of questions, set of rhetorical questions. Does God do the wrong thing? And of course he doesn't do the wrong thing, so that's correct. But the assumption is, um, you know, what's happened to you is God and uh, it's bad so therefore you deserve it. So it's the same assumption that is the first friend Eliphaz had in the first speech. So the assumption here is that everything that has happened is God's fault. So um, <laughs> uh, do you have that assumption? Do you think that every single thing that happens in life is all to be laid at God's feet? You know, do you think, for example, that the Holocaust is God's fault? Or do you think that if, you know, you know, you go to school and and uh, you don't get taught right by a teacher, that that's God's fault? Or do you think if you don't do your homework and you don't learn your lessons, that's, that that's God's fault? I mean, there's lots of things that happen. Are they all God's fault? If something happens to you, like say you go home today and your house is burnt down, is that God's fault? 
Well, Bildad seems to assume that if something bad has happened to you, God has caused it, and it must be because God doesn't pervert justice, so therefore you deserved it. So this is all the things that he says to Job. Now, I want to point out what the nature of sin. And this was something we discussed back in the book of First Samuel, because um, not Second Samuel, because when David sinned with Bathsheba, it unleashed all these consequences into his family. And um, one of the consequences was Nathan, the prophet, said to David, he says, what you have done in secret is going to be repaid back to you in, in broad daylight. And what happened was that David's son Absalom eventually came back and had sex with 10 of David's concubines on the roof of the palace. So everyone could see what was going on. And someone said, how could God have caused those 10 women to have suffered like that? And th there was a website which was a kind of a feminist theology website and they were basically struggling with what type of God have we got who would do this? And um, I was explaining in, the, in 2 Samuel that, that it's not God. It's the nature of sin. So that what this is the reason why God hates sin. God hates sin so much because you might say, well, what's the big deal if I just commit a few little sins? The reason God hates sin so much is because it affects other people. And, um, you know, if it only completely affected you and never hurt anyone else in the world, I guess God would still hate it because he would love you and he wouldn't want it to affect you. But the fact is it doesn't just affect you. So sin by its very nature is unfair. And so um, when Adam and Eve sinned, it affects the whole entire human race. That's unfair. But we're also all sinners as well. So we're not just only, we're not just victims, we've also become perpetrators. So it, that's, that's unfair too. So there are things that you have done which have, which is sin, and you might think your sin only affects you, but it doesn't, it affects others. You know, in, in just think of Adam. He didn't intend, you would think to yourself, you know, what he did, sh shouldn't that have just been an isolated event, just stuck in the Garden of Eden, not affecting all the people that followed? But somehow, the nature of sin is that it does affect people that follow. Your, your sins will affect your children, even though you think they don't. Your sins affect people around you. Your sins affect you. So that's the nature of sin. So you're a sinner and your sins have affected others and that's unfair. It's unfair to them. But at the same time, you're a victim. Other people have sinned and their sins have affected you and that's unfair too. So, and we can't blame God for any of that. So Job experiences things that are unfair they've happened outside of his control. Job doesn't sin by blaming God, but he is a sinner. And that's, that's important to get clear because we tend to think as we go through the book of Job that he never did anything wrong. No, he's a sinner like you and me. The Bible does say in Romans that all have fallen short of the glory of God, Job included. He's just a great example of someone who is blameless. You couldn't blame him for acting immorally, for acting with violence. He didn't do all the obvious bad things. He was blameless. And when bad things happened to him, he didn't blame God. So he's a great example of a righteous person, but it doesn't mean he wasn't also a sinner. He didn't struggle with his feelings and thoughts and complained. And, and he had many, many of the same human struggles we do. And But what makes Job so remarkable is there was no Bible. 
So Job is thought to be the oldest book in the Bible. So therefore, he didn't even have a single book of the Bible to, to, to lean on. And before you blame his three friends for being wrong, they didn't either. So it's quite a remarkable book showing you how amazing Job is without having had any Bible teaching and showing you how, how many things his friends actually got right without having any Bible teaching. But it's also a great window into many, many things like sin and suffering and pain and, and learning not to blame God. So, um, but the point is that, you know, Bildad raised the question, does God pervert justice? No, he doesn't. But the fact is that sometimes unjust things happen to us and that's just the way it is because the world is a sinful world. And um, so God not only does not pervert justice, you know, as far as God's justice is concerned, he does the right thing. But God does mess up justice in one other way and that he has messed up injustice. The world is actually an unjust place but the Lord sent his son, Jesus Christ, to flip it on its head and turn injustice into justice. In other words, he came to give us mercy that we didn't deserve. So that is something that Bildad didn't expect. <laughs> and thank God for that. And um, so the, the speech of Bildad, you know, he goes through this. He's, he's blaming Job like his friend did. And then he gets to the end and he makes the assumption that if you're doing well in life, it's because God has blessed you and you're walking with him. And then he says, but if you're not doing well in life, it's because you're not walking with God and, and you're under his curse. So he makes this very big assumption. And in the next chapter, Job's going to go after that assumption because if you think about it, can you think of anyone in your life that's not walking with the Lord but their life seems to be fine, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of wealthy people in the world who don't follow the Lord, but they seem to have everything they want. The truth is they don't have everything they want. Jim Carrey, you know, is a wealthy American actor, and he said, um, I wish that everyone would have wealth and then they would know it's not the answer. So, you know, there's an example of someone who has, you know, all the things you'd think you'd need, and yet he realizes that's not it. But for a lot of people, they have everything, but they're wicked. And so that's, that's a thing. But there are also people who are following the Lord and their life hasn't turned into mansions and fancy cars for them. No, their life's still very ordinary. And there are a lot of very poor Christians in the world too. And um, Job's going to go after that in his reply, <laughs> which we'll get to in chapter 9. So Lord, I want to thank you that you do not pervert justice. That's a fact. But I also thank you, you pervert injustice. Lord, you flipped it on its head and you've given us mercy that we didn't deserve. That's a fact too, and we're very grateful for it. So Lord, strengthen us. Help us to be people that flip injustice too. Help us to be people that extend mercy to those around us who don't deserve it maybe. Lord, just as we have received grace, let us be people who extend grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.